0: What would it take for you to believe what you can't see? Have you ever been forced to to do this before? To choose to believe something that you can't see? Okay. I see shaking. This is important because in order for us to understand where our gaps are, we need to, to kind of recognize what's kind of right in front of us. Like, for example, how many of you have taken a look at what your nose looks like lately? No, I don't mean, I don't mean in the mirror. I mean the other view. Why is it? Okay, <laughs> there's a couple of brave people say, yeah, I have. Why is it that when you're seeing everything in your world, You don't see your nose in the way, typically, typically. Why? You have chosen, your brain has chosen, perceptually back in the brain, has chosen to block that out because it knows that that's an accessory piece of information that you are not trying to look at when you're looking at your spouse or you're looking at information or you're reading, and it's the brain's doing. We can overlook things, because we choose not to see them, or we choose to look at something different. But what would it take for you to believe what you can't see? It says that we can see down to, like, I think it's 40 microns. I don't even think it's even possible. I mean, with a coronavirus outbreak, it's obvious that there are things that you can't see that are what? They're there, right? It's just there. So, And we knew this beforehand. There are lots of things you can't see that are there. And yet, at the same time, we have to believe it. Our eyes are only set to see certain things. Very limited. When you think of the... Remember the Roy... This is going to be a little bit of a flashback to Science 101 or whatever. Roy G. Biv. Remember that one? Spectrum. Red, orange, yellow, all the way through violet. Anything longer wavelength than anything like infrared or longer, you can't see it even though it's there. That's why night goggles when they look through them, you go, wow, there's the deer. Or I'm not saying you're using night goggles to hunt, but I'm saying if you did happen to put night goggles on and there was a deer there, then you would see it because that wavelength is there, but you don't normally see it. Or if it was shorter than ultraviolet, you wouldn't see that as well because your eyes are only set to see certain things. Recognize that what you see isn't all that is there. As we look at a... Really an important topic today in terms of our faith. Uh, recognize that what we see is not necessarily the whole picture. And sometimes what, what we choose to block out is also really important for us to recognize. We look at the, the uh, Gospel of John primarily, and there will be a couple other places. But uh, just to hit this, as we leave Easter, we recognize that when Easter happened, it was so different for us leaving Easter service than for the disciples. For us, we get to see everything that happened. We get to read the whole book. We get to see that the resurrection was such a, such a triumph. But the disciples didn't see that right away. So, as we read John, a few passes out of John, hopefully we'll get the idea of what is seen and how that challenges what we believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Whenever you read a book, you kind of want to jump to the very last page to kind of see how it turns out. It's a temptation that all of us have probably fought, and maybe more so if you're in school because you're trying to get some cliff notes and maybe you didn't study as much as you should and you're trying to just condense things a little bit. But in John's last chapter, he gives us the reason for writing the whole book. And he's very specific. He's specific enough to say, this is why I've taken the time to do this. And what he, what he writes is this, that there are many other miracles that he could have written down that couldn't be contained because Jesus did so many things. And the description of those things would be very difficult to capture. Um, but he says, I have written these down because what? What was his purpose? And this is when you speak up and even just slightly say, what? That we would believe. Jesus, John's, John's whole gospel about Jesus was that we would understand who he was, that we would believe that he was the Messiah, of, of the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And the question I have for you today is this. How does Jesus deal with doubters? Now have you ever have you ever had a doubt about faith or Jesus or something in the spiritual realm? Okay, most of you who are honest shook your heads, and the ones of you who didn't want to vote didn't do anything. And if you didn't have a doubt about it, I'd probably question that because we all have steps of faith where we reach a doubting point and then we have to recirculate back around because a challenge comes, comes up in our lives that makes us really question, is, it, is this really true? And the degree in which you need to believe is dependent upon the challenge that's in front of you. And if you have a big challenge that's in front of you and it, it really depends on faith, y- your belief is so important and the growth of your belief Because you don't know what tomorrow brings. And is your faith going to match it? So as we look at this, realize that Jesus had a way of dealing with doubters. And and, and it's a beautiful picture of us as we continue to cycle through and we challenge ourselves as believers. Do I really believe? Okay, do I believe that now? And do I really trust this? John 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And so Thomas has this question, and we always call Thomas, uh, we always call him what? He is the doubting, doubting Thomas, right? And so we, he gets a little bit of a bad rap. I, I think, I, I think, Probably a better way of terming this is that he had less certainty than he needed for this particular thing for him to believe. Like, can I grasp this? That this is, he's actually raised from the dead. Because obviously his mind couldn't wrap himself around that. William Barclay said this, The man who became certain by doubting. That was Thomas. The man who became certain by doubting. Is it okay to doubt? Absolutely, because that is how we are made. We are made to kind of be a little bit of a skeptic and to question things like, "I don't know about that." And if you're reading the newspaper, it's probably a good idea, or the internet, or whatever, to just have a little skepticism. And go, okay, is, does this does this really make sense? So Thomas has the skepticism that we see here, and it's not necessarily an unhealthy skepticism because he's willing to take and evaluate the truths and facts and then make a decision. He's not. In the position where he just says, I will not look at these things. I'm going to choose what I'm going to believe even before I evaluate the evidence. And so Thomas fits himself into a category of someone who is seeking truth. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This is what Pastor Tri talked about last week. Shalom. This idea of completeness that they would be complete once uh, the Messiah had come. Then he said said to Thomas, specifically looked at Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what we see here is Thomas being addressed by Jesus, and Jesus is kind of accepting Thomas's doubt by saying, you know what, I'm going to give you the proof that you want. You want to know more about this? I I, I know that. And you can imagine Thomas, as soon as Jesus came in the room, you can imagine Thomas is like, oh wow, what's this about? First of all, he didn't use the door. And then secondly, he goes right to Thomas, and he, he addresses him as if he had heard the conversation that Thomas had with all the disciples when they said, we saw the Lord, and he's like, no way. And Thomas knows at that point in time, Jesus is who he said he was going to be, which is the one who had promised all along. Pisteo. You can pronounce it different ways, but it's Greek for believe. John, the Gospel of John, the writer of the Gospel of John, uses this word twice as many times as all the other three synoptic Gospel writers And the reason why is because that's his theme, and that's what he's stuck on. Now, remember John's relationship to Thomas. What was it? How were they related? How were they connected, I should say? Not related like brother and sister and brother and brother, brother and uncle. How were they connected? Good. They were disciples. Good. They were disciples. So they walked along with each other. They talked with each other. They had spent three years together. And all of a sudden, Thomas became sort of this doubting person because he was gone from church. He was gone from the fellowship. And and when Jesus showed up the first time, he missed out on what he could have been included in. And so John knows this as he's writing this. He's like, I got to to see everything. I got to see the visit without Thomas, and then I got to see the visit with Thomas. And realize that John is writing this from a firsthand perspective. He was there. He was the youngest of all those guys. And so as he says, I want you to believe, he's using this word because he is conveying that he knows what he's talking about. For God so loved the world, this should be familiar to you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so as John writes this, he is writing us this, this thesis in order for us to convince us to believe the truths of the gospel. And as we see John 3.16 play out, we see also other places where he used the word believe. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within him. He stands up in the last day of the feast, and he says all these things, and then he says this one thing, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will come from him. This is before the Holy Spirit, become, because it was because, before the fact that Jesus was glorified. And so this, he's re- referring really to the Holy Spirit. But the important thing is, is that whoever believes in me will receive the Holy Spirit. And then in John 11, as he was talking to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. She said, well, we know that Lazarus will be raised in the resurrection on that final day. And Jesus just said, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And so there is a, uh, John's point is, is for us to understand that we are to believe and this resurrection is the hinge point for everything. Now, La- Thomas was a committed follower. As we look at him, and he had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. He had seen the, all of these things. And as, as he saw Jesus' ministry coming along, you can see a glimpse of his faith in a passage in John 11. And this is clearly where, where Lazarus is dead. Jesus gets word of it. And, and he's going to go back to Bethany where Lazarus is. And they know the last time they were there that Jesus basically got death threats. If you come here again, it will be your last trip through Bethany. So in John 11, John writes this, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And I'm sure all the disciples are going, but, but, but we're gonna, you're going to die, Jesus. We're all going to die. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So you see this faith of Thomas, he's willing to follow Jesus right into the fire. But yet there's an uncertainty that comes and comes up later on as he's challenged to believe that Jesus is now resurrected. And so we see certainty is something that we can we can waver in our certainty of things as we are challenged in our faith. Sometimes we have we have a, we have a lack of faith because of different things. And I just want to just bring it up right now. What are, th- what are things in your life or situations in your life that bring on a lack of faith? There are times in your life when you have lots of faith and there are times in your life when you have less faith. Would we agree with that? I hope you agree with that because if you don't, then wow, you're stellar because you're solid and steady. But if not, what are the reasons why we sometimes go through a lack of faith? Death or a loss. Death or a loss. What else? causes us to question things, death or a loss, and we go through, okay, what, you know, what's this all about? What else? Okay, when things don't go how we expect them to go, I was, was, it was supposed to be this way, I was supposed to get married at 21, have a child by 23, and where is Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Wonderful, and you're wondering, things are not going the way I'm supposed to, it's supposed to go, or this is not my plan, and then we have to go back to Chances thing, which is man makes his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. And they can cause us to waver in our faith. How about this? Say for the summer you spend the mount, you spend the whole summer on the mountain. What do you think that's going to do to your faith, typically? You think I'm going somewhere with this, don't you? (laughs) Yes. Fellowship is super important. Point. Thomas. He's gone from the, the other eleven or the other disciples and Jesus appears and shows himself. And then when Thomas shows up and they say, We saw the Lord, he's like, I won't no way. Can't can't believe it. I guarantee you, if you spend the summer on the mountain, and I'm not saying anybody's gonna do this because they definitely aren't now, but if you spent the summer on the mountain and did not spend time with his people and spend time in his word, it would affect your faith. It would definitely have a negative impact on your faith. Just like being in a small group or not being in a small group affects your faith. It's about whether you're plugged in to the source. And I just want to encourage you, it's, a, it's just the way it works. It's the way God made us. It's the way he designed us. It's really important to recognize that it has an effect on our spiritual life. And we can take, we can take ourselves through some very difficult situations if we're going through it with some other people who, um, who also are connected to the source. John 19, But when they came to Jesus and found that he, had already de- he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead of one of his soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on one they have pierced. You can be a skeptic. You can't. It's okay to do that because if you're searching for facts, you're searching for information, that's what you probably should do. You should be somewhat analytical. I'm not saying that you have to be. Some people just have faith and that's just the way it is. It's a gift. Uh, but asking questions is not wrong. And what we see here is that John is trying to to show us that there's a pathway, and Thomas is a good example, of from doubt or uncertainty to faith. And when we look at this whole idea that Jesus was pierced, and there was this thing going on in the cross, and I just want to reiterate what Pastor Triad kind of said, is is that there's a whole think tank out there that says Jesus wasn't dead. He just was kind of like really weak. They put him in the tomb. It was a nice, cool place for him to revive himself and then he somehow pushed the, the, whole, the whole big stone out of the way and it gets even worse after that. And then he has to show himself to a bunch of people who are scared and change their whole lives. But what I'm saying is this. He was dead on the cross and the way you would know that if you ask Corey or any other doctor is that he basically had hemio, I think it's a the rasso, something or other, basically blood had pooled. And when the piercing of his, his body occurred, the water, which is some of the lighter stuff, had gone to the top, and the blood cells, which, are, which were more dense, had gone to the bottom. And so they came out separately, which any good good Roman soldier would know, he's dead. And that's why they did not break his bones, because they wanted to make sure all of the, those guys were dead. But when they pierced him, they basically did a pneumothorax. I mean, centesis on him. There is a centesis where they actually pierced. The water came out uh, after the blood and they realized, okay, he's dead. No no reason to, to break his legs. But look at this, that the prophecy that's written inside here. And I know you can get crazy about prophecy, but it says his bones will not be broken. The other two thieves, bones broken, that he will be pierced. The other two, not pierced. That wasn't a typical thing. And it just confirms to us to go, God knew what was going on long before anything, even crucifixion, was even invented. What an amazing thing to just realize that we can be a skeptic, and yet there are truths and facts that help us to understand. God leaves us this bread trail to go, yep, it's true. It's true. And it should confirm in your mind, wow, this is not just some sort of a fairy tale. This is actually something that happened. John, in John 14 is Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and he's about ready to go. This is before the garden. Do not let your hearts be troubled. you believe in God, believe also in me. My, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to, I would not have told you there, that I was going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. With you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus says, I am going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, I'm going to take you with me. And you can just see this response by Thomas. He is kind of his mind spinning and he's wondering what's going on. He says, This, he says, Lord, we don't know where you were going. So how can we know the way? Listen to Jesus' response. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is very clear. I'm going away, but this person that you hung out with for three years, I am the Father. And he clears any doubts that, that he would have in his mind. And so sometimes I've had questions like, man, it just seems like Christianity is too easy. You just believe, and and they and and you you you're you you're considered a Christian. And as hard as it is to explain how easy it is, it's also the side of things to say. You know, it may be easy, but there's a part of it that's difficult too, because we, in, as humans, want to work for things. This is just part of probably the fall as we toil and whatnot. And we, we have a sense in which it can't be a free gift. It just seems to be too, too good to be true. And that's part of the culture and maybe some of the, the ways we've been brought up. But as we realize that God made a, made a way for us and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we realize that he has completely done all the work for us. We don't do the work. And if we try to do the work, we spoil it because what we're saying is Jesus isn't enough. And in Jesus' statement, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." No, it comes to the Father, but through me, He's really just saying this: that He is the missing piece to people coming to the Father, because we have to be clean, we have to be, we have to be sinless, and Jesus is the one who cleaned, uh, cleared us of our sin as we we put our faith in Him and believed in Him. Have you ever met any, anybody with dishonest doubt? Maybe you've even been one at one point in time. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm going to believe this. I'm just going to believe that. And I really don't actually want to know anything different. I'm just stuck there. And so sometimes we can be that person who's kind of having a dishonest doubt, and you can run into those people. And I, what I would say to you is this. I would just pray for them. I, not, don't, continue to, no, disc, don't discontinue your conversations with them. But no fights. No fights. We just need to really pray for them. And one of the things that um, people who are dishonest about won't look into is is just history. Um, as a as a new believer, I, I really didn't believe that there was any historical information about Jesus. I thought everything was pretty much contained right here that there was to know about Jesus. And outside of this book, it was kind of just faith. It was just that's the way it was. And I'm here to say that this is enough, but there is a whole, whole volume of information about Jesus and the fact that he actually existed beforehand. This is just one example, and I'm not going to go any further than this. But this is a Josephus, where well, you'll hear that, that name a lot. And he was a Jew, and he was not only a historian, but he was a priest as well. So he knew the Old Testament. He knew everything about the Old Testament and the Messiah and the whole bit. Here's what he said. Now, there was about this time, and this this writing is how old? Appro- approximately, what would you say? Bought 2,000, because he's writing about Jesus, so that pins it right there, right? Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first... Did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. And you could go on, I could give you some links, and you could look them up yourselves, but history, secular books have. All kinds of things written about this man named Jesus. And the amazing things that happened, not only while he was on the earth, but even afterwards as his disciples were there. And it's just there to just kind of help you in your mind go, okay, this is pinned in history. This resurrection happened. And it wasn't just something that that's just written here. It's written in many, many, many historical books. And most of what they're writing about, the Romans are writing about afterwards, is how they're going to squelch this movement called Christianity, and they can't get a handle on it. And they're burning people, and they're torturing people, and the Romans are coming up with ways to deal with it. And they're writing back and forth. How do you deal with people? How do you ask them the questions? Are you a Christian or not? How do you get them to recant? And these conversations are going on amongst Roman officials, and you realize... This had to have happened because these Romans are, are talking about it all the time as you read these, these passages. Honest doubt can develop into faith. Now Thomas, almost, uh, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now remember what we talked about with sight. It's like okay, I can see so many things, but maybe I don't see them, and maybe it's too small, maybe it's out of the wavelengths, maybe it's a lot of things, or maybe I just choose not to see them. But the disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord," which is bold for them, which is exciting for them. But he said to them, "Unless I see all the see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." What it, what was it that took? What was it that you required? in order to believe in Jesus? What pushed you over the edge? Where, at what point did you go, okay, this is what I need to know, or this is what I need to see in order to believe in Jesus? Thomas had a very special revelation, and I'm not saying everyone, you can't just demand Jesus to just show up and, you know, you you could try. But there are a lot of things written, and he has left us many other things to go, you know what? That's enough. There's enough there, and so honest doubt can bring us to a point of really, to the point of faith where we believe who He is and the fact that He did raise from the dead. Would you believe God's word? There was a time where I didn't. I can honestly tell you, uh, most of it's true, but there's just some things I just, boy, I just can't believe that. What about the fish? Does anybody have a hard time following, the, uh, swallowing the whole fish story? Tough one, isn't it? You mean three days and a fish, really? And then you realize someone might look at you and just laugh at you. You mean you believe the fish story? But let's just do this just for a second. If you go back and you see the secular writings of the, of the fact that the resurrection occurred and that Roman historians were writing about it, and you come to the point that you believe that Jesus... Did, went into the tomb and he was resurrected. At that point in time, when Jesus was resurrected, everything he said, made it, everything that he said and did, we now realize he was God. And when he said him, everything he said was true. And if he said everything was true, then when he talked about just as Jonah, just as Jonah was in the what belly of the fish, three days, Jesus said that. Now, what credibility does that give to Jonah's story? Now, everything hinges on the resurrection. Because if you can establish that Jesus is God because he was resurrected, you can go back and go, okay, this would be true because he would make sure that that's true. He mentioned this because now we know that's true. All of those things are true because of this. And that's what John is trying to get us to understand, that you would believe these things. And so we need to recognize that there are things that we doubt. Sometimes we think our plan is better than God's plan. And so sometimes we... We come up with our own plans to do things, and then God has to change those things. We have to kind of align with him. And so he has the most fulfilling plan for us, and we need to recognize that we just need to align with him. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believing And as you read these passages for the second or third time, you realize that Thomas was literally asking Jesus to do something when he said, I won't do it until this. And Jesus says, okay, I'll give it to you. If you ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, he will do it. If you are an honest person, maybe you're here today and someone else pulled you here by the ear or however else you came here. And you have never come to a place where you recognize that Jesus is truly God. I want you to recognize that you can ask him to reveal himself to you, and all you need to do then is just open up his word, and it will, it will reveal itself to you. He will, he will send someone, he will have you read certain words, and if you continue to pursue him, I guarantee you, he will reveal that to you. And that's what Thomas did, was, I just want you to reveal yourself to me, because this is amazing. This is amazing. Listen to, look at uh, Thomas's response. He said this, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. I was 19 years old when I finally came to understand what this means. Someone explained it to me. They said, He's not only Jesus the Messiah, but if He's the Messiah, then He's God. And if He's God, He's your Lord. Because He's your Creator. And He's in control of all things. And as Thomas says this, my Lord and my God, recognize how far he has come in his faith. You're just not the Messiah because the Messiah is out there. But you're my Lord and my God. My question is today for you, is he your Lord? And is he is he your God? Is he the one who you reckon as sovereign in your life? And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed blessed are those who have, who believe and yet they've never seen Jesus in, in, in real life we need to recognize that that's the blessing that we have as we come to him that there is this blessing of seeing Jesus as one thing but being able to read his word and having the holy spirit in our life is the confirmation of knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus is the the end of it all there was a little girl who was drawing pictures in the kitchen. And her mom walked in and said, What are you doing, honey? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, Oh, really? She said, Yeah. She said, her mom said to her, she said, No one knows what God looks like. To which the little girl said, They will when I get done. <laughs> John sculpts for us a picture of Jesus. He says, this is who God is. And he wants us to see him just for who he is, that we would believe. And if you have ever wanted to know Jesus in a personal way, and you have never, ever made him your Lord and Savior, that he would be your Lord and your God, I, I, I just challenge you today to do it. And it's as simple as this, is just praying a simple prayer in your own broken, weird language. I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I've offended you, that I've broken your rules. I know that I can't live up to all of the things that are morally right. I believe, I believe that you died on that cross. And that's why John wrote his book. I believe that you did that. See, I choose to make you my Lord and my Savior. Will you come into my life and will you change me, knowing that I am a big, big, big mess? Because we all are. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart right now, and I pray that you did. If you're a new person who doesn't know Jesus, who just is trying to get to know what is this Jesus about, that if you just pray that that's the starting point, then God will continue to just bring you along. And if you did that, I'd love it if you came up to me and said, Hey, I prayed that prayer. And I could help you with maybe growing a little bit further in that pathway. I would recommend that you actually start reading the book, the Gospel of John. Pick a couple of chapters per day. Just start reading it. When you get to the end of John, turn around, start reading John again, okay? You can do that. That would be super important. If you're online right now, I encourage you, admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for your sins, choose to follow him as your Lord and Savior, and get plugged into a church, a body that can disciple you into a small group that you can continue to grow in. I encourage you as as people who are coming to church weekly, you are faithful to come to church, and we so appreciate that because the body is a foot and a hand and in the ear, and we can't function without all the people coming together. But if you're not in a small group, I just want to tell you, that's where your life is going to change the most. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this book, the book of John, but also thank you so much for the resurrection that you would give us such visible proof, so much visibility of your son being who he said he was. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, and it is a gift God, thank you that you have, you have said to us that we are blessed because we've not actually seen like Thomas did. But there's a special blessing for us who have not seen and yet believe. God, I ask a blessing on everyone here and who is maybe listening at home that you would bless their lives with more and more faith, that they would be able to meet the challenges of faith that we're going to all eventually run into as we go through this life that's so, so filled with struggle. I pray that you would be alongside of us as we do that, and I pray that you would put people alongside of us to help us through those uh, things as we walk along. Father, I ask that you just be glorified. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you that you made it so easy, and yet at the same time, help us to grow in our belief. Help us to understand more and more who you are as we get to know you and have a relationship with you that is rich and enduring. God, we just look forward to heaven. We look forward to spending eternity with you. We can't even put our mind around that, as Chad was mentioning, that we will spend all of our time, that this is just a dot, and there is a long, long line yet for us to live. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.